Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. We're going to take some time this morning and talk about fasting and talk about prayer as we get ready to go through that, that season in January like we do every year. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we jump into that, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And I, as I ask these questions, you're going to know the right answer, like the church answer, how you're supposed to respond. I want you to hesitate on just responding and just ask yourself, like, really, really? So the, the first question is, do you want to please God? Do you want to please God? Really? Like, really? To the point where it's not just you think it's a nice thing, but if you were to find something, discover something to do or something not to do, whatever it is, if you knew that it pleased God, you, you would do or not do whatever it was that would be pleasing to God. How many would say, yes, I, I actually, I genuinely want to please God, that I, I'll put actions behind, whatever it takes, I want to please, I want to please God. Disappointingly few, but at least you're, we got some honest people that are not raising their hands. Second, second question, do you want all that God has for you? Really, really, do you genuinely, again, not just you think it's a nice thing, you'd be willing to take whatever steps if you discovered something that would open up more of what God has for you. You don't want to leave anything on the table. You don't want to squander opportunities. You want everything that God has for you. Just raise your hand. I, genuine, I really, I believe you. I believe you. So we've got people in this church, well, I, I love about this church family. I believe there's people that raise your hand. You're genuine. You genuinely want to please God. Really, you really want all that God has for you. And so let's take that attitude into this message as we, as we talk about prayer and fasting. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, we love you. I thank you for each person here this morning. God, I thank you for men and women that, that want to please you. God, let that desire grow in our hearts. God, that desire for everything that you have for us. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning, that you'd bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, with hearts that are tender and receptive like good soil. Father, bless us with a spirit of revelation and understanding so we can know you more. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This, this past week, I lost my wallet. I had it last Sunday. As of Monday, I couldn't find it. I, I still can't find my, my wallet. And I don't think I'm one of those people that's constantly losing wallet keys, all, all those kinds. I don't want to be that kind of person. But my wife bought me uh, like the, the tile that you could attach to your keys, put in your wallet. You can use your phone to help, you know, locate your lost, your lost item. So maybe, maybe just by the fact that she feels the need to purchase that for me, maybe I, I am one of those people. So I've got one of those in my wallet, but the problem is the battery is dead. Um, so, because I've, I've had to use it so many times to locate my wallet that now it's, it's, so I guess I am one of those people that's constantly, constantly losing things. But if you've ever, ever lost something of value, something important, you know, there's things that you lose that you can just shrug off and like, eh, no big deal. Uh, but there's things like your keys, your wallet. My wife, when the kids were little, she used to always lose our kids at the store. She was just like frequently uh, lose a child. Was it, was it Walmart you had shut down? Coles, uh, Coles was like on lockdown because of a missing child. So she'd frequently go shopping and misplace a child. So maybe you've met, whether it's your keys, uh, an important item, a family member, if you have ever lost something valuable, then you know that, that that sense you get when something's missing, there's kind of an escalation process. There's different levels of concern that you experience when something is missing. And the first one, you know, when I lost my wallet, it's just kind of a general... Where in the world? How did, where's my wallet? You kind of start checking places, you know, uh, I check my jacket, I check my car, uh, check my office, and you, you know, just kind of that general, what did I do with, you know, what did I do with my, my keys? Where in the world did I put my wallet? You kind of experience that. And if that, kind of you just generally checking your normal spots and looking under the couch or whatever, if that doesn't work, then it escalates. And you begin to incorporate other people, right? You begin to expand the scope of your search and you ask other people, hey, have you seen, 
Have you seen my wallet? Hey, do you mind just kind of keep your eyes peeled? If you happen to see a set of keys, you know, or, hey, my, my daughter's about this tall, and, you know, if she's, you see a kid crying somewhere in the store, could you, you, you start to expand that, and you invite other people into the search, and if that doesn't work, then you can take a step beyond that, and you can offer a reward, which is where I'm at. There's a standing $100 reward for anyone that locates, locates my wallet. I offered my, my kids that, still, still no wallet, but you can offer... A, a reward, and when you offer a reward for something, it indicates the value you place on that thing getting done, being returned, and it doesn't have to just be lost things. You can, you can offer rewards for all kinds of things, right? You can offer somebody, hey, I'll give you a, a quarter to rub my feet. You can offer your kids, you know, rewards for doing, that, that, that offer stands as, as well. If you'd, like to, if you'd like to earn a nice shiny quarter at the end of service, you can rub my, rub my feet. Or you can offer your kids, you know, rewards for getting straight A's or, or doing different kinds of things. You can attach a, a reward to it. I recently heard about someone who said that their father, when they were growing up, offered them a reward that if they would reach, I think it was age 21, and never smoke and never drink any alcohol when they got to their 21st birthday, that he would buy them a car, right? So when you offer rewards like that, find something, certain, do, do this, do that, don't do that, one of the things that you are communicating is your desire to see that thing happen, right? That man whose father offered him a reward for not smoking or drinking, he didn't have to get further information on what his father's desires were just by the fact that he said, I'll buy you a car. I will reward you. He knew where his dad, I wonder if my dad wants me to smoke. I wonder if my dad wants me to, to start drinking. All of that was clear just by the fact that a reward was attached to it. He was directing behavior with the promise of a reward. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter six. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter six. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. He's been teaching for a while. We're going to pick it up. Sermon's already underway. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, watch out. <clears throat> Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in heaven. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And Jesus teaches on prayer for the next several verses. He gives the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer. We'll jump down to verse 16, and he continues this, this pattern. Verse 16, he says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will, will reward you. This is an interesting passage of, of Scripture where Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, has this section where he teaches specifically on three spiritual disciplines. It's not an exhaustive list of spiritual disciplines, but he focuses on these three, and he says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Three spiritual disciplines that all involve sacrifice. There's a sacrifice of resources. There's a sacrifice of time. There's a sacrifice of other things you've got to set aside to engage in prayer. There's a sacrifice of, of comfort. And, and this is something we could talk more about, 
but it's important. Sacrifice is not just some religious thing that we do. In the spirit realm, sacrifice is a language. Sacrifice communicates something. And it's not just a, a Bible practice. You can even look at the occult and all kinds of crazy sacrifices that take place by people that serve the devil. Sacrifice is a language in the spirit realm, good or bad. And when we sacrifice according to the word of God, it is, it is a language. It is a communication. We're saying something beyond just what we say with words. Sacrifice is a language of, of the spirit. A few weeks ago, when we were talking about giving, we, we talked about the story of Abraham when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he was willing to, was about to, but God stopped him and, and said, stop, don't hurt the boy. Now I know that you truly fear me. Now I know that you're serious about serving me. Do you think there was ever a time in their relationship that Abraham had told God that he feared him and loved him, I, I wanna serve you? I would assume, of course, he'd had those kinds of conversations talking to the Lord, but he communicated. There was a language, something was spoken through his sacrifice that went beyond just what was communicated with his words. And it's important that we understand that sacrifice is a language. It's a, a means of communication in the spirit realm. And Jesus teaching on these three disciplines mentions specifically that there is a reward attached to them. My father who sees everything will reward you. Now, by the fact that the father will reward, do you think these are things that the father wants done? That they please the father? that these are things that he desires that his children would engage themselves with. Yes, uh, of course, that's why there is a reward attached, just like that father that said, I'll buy you a car if you don't, if you don't drink or you, you don't smoke. He's trying to direct behavior, trying to reveal what is pleasing to him, what kind of action would be pleasing to him by attaching a reward to it. And we see our heavenly father doing something similar here, attaching a reward which reveals what would be pleasing to him. Now, th this is important when it comes to fasting because I've, I've heard people make arguments against fasting why it's not important, why you don't need to fast. Hey, there's no command in scripture. It's not something we have to do anymore. I'm pretty sure that was just like an Old Testament thing. And once we get into the New Testament, fasting isn't like something we engage in anymore. And to some extent, they're, they're right. There is no command. I can't give you chapter and verse for thou shalt fast. But when Jesus is teaching on these disciplines, he, re he reveals almost an assumption. One, he says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. So it's just assumed if you're a serious follower of Jesus, you're going to be engaged in these practices. But then he lets us know that there is a reward. The Father has attached a reward. And part of doing that, just like me and my wallet, it reveals a desire. I want this to be taking place. So much so that I want to intertwine my desire with your desire and kind of uh, help motivate you in this direction. Right? That's, that's what a reward does. When I say, hey, $100 if you find my don't care about my wallet, but I can get you motivated in the same way my heart is motivated by attaching a reward to it. So God wants it to happen so much so that he's, he's tried to engage our motives by promising a reward. Rewards are good. Re re rewards are, th this is important because a religious idea of, hey, you're just doing it for a reward, it, it, it scrambles people up inside and they lose a motivation to do the things uh, of God for, uh, there's a, a reward attached. That, that's a religious spirit that kind of tries to, to, to quench a motivation God promises rewards because rewards are good, and he wants to stir up a desire to go in the right direction. But if you allow that, that kind of religious thinking, to th it's, it's bad to have a desire for rewards, then what the enemy's doing by that is he's losing the motivation to do the things that God is trying to motivate you to do. So the whole anti-prosperity, anti-reward, all that kind of nonsense is trying to remove a desire and a motivation in people's hearts to move in the direction that God wants them to move. And, and we can't allow that to affect us. God desires rewards. Otherwise, it's a very twisted passage of scripture. Your father, he wants to reward you and he's showing you a path how you can obtain rewards from heaven. And as he gives these, these disciplines with rewards attached, Different disciplines open up different rewards or different results. There, there are people in this room that you can testify. We, we just heard a testimony a, a couple of minutes ago that Desiree read. That there is a reward to being a giver. That God rewards. 
How many people genuinely, you could say, you know what, I could give a testimony. I know that this is true. When you are a giver, when you're faithful, I know there is a reward specifically attached to give. I'm serious. Lift your hands if you genuinely can say, I I know that to be true. I've experienced a reward for, for, for giving. Praise the Lord. There's other people that could say, hey, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. I I know that when I take time to seek God, when I carve out time to get alone, like Jesus said, I I shut myself in, turn off my cell phone, get rid of distractions, and I just spend time in prayer. I know that there is a reward for being a person of, of prayer. Just in my fellowship, just hearing God's voice, the results of prayer. Anyone that say, I, I know, I can testify, there is a reward. This is serious. There is a reward for being a, a person uh, of prayer. Praise the Lord. So we've got people that, that can testify to those things, but they could also testify. You can also testify that the reward attached to giving is different than the reward attached to being a person of prayer. Giving will open things up in your life that prayer doesn't open up, and prayer has, has blessings and rewards that are different from giving. So they're not interchangeable. You can't just lean into one and think that you're going to get all of the results because the results, the rewards are unique to to the discipline. And oftentimes, fasting is a missing key in the lives of Christians that keeps rewards and and blessing locked up where they can't can't obtain it because they're not using the right key. They're, They're skipping this key of fasting and so there's certain rewards that, that are out of reach for them. I don't know how you feel about your keys, like your car keys, your house keys, your, your keychains. I know some people don't mind it being uh, bogged down with lots of stuff, uh, lots of keys. Some people, I think, feel important when they've got, you know, like a high school janitor. They've just got like, man, you got 300 keys on the thing. How do you pulling your pants down because it weighs weigh so much. I, I don't like that. I like, you know, just simplicity. Somebody after ser- last service, whether it's keys, someone like splayed out all of their little uh, scannable coupon cards. It was like a, a full deck of cards of all these little tabs <laughs> attached, to the, attached to their keychain. I, I don't like that. I, I like very simple. If I could get it down to one key, I, I would. In fact, at our, our old building, when we had the locks redone. We had a locksmith come in and rekey all the doors. And so you've got keys that open classrooms and keys that open storage areas and keys that open offices and outside doors. And then a master key, you just need one key to open all of them. So I had a master key. I just needed one. And then I had that same locksmith replace the locks at my house. And as he was doing it, I said, do you think you could make my, my, house, the same key, the same as the church? He said, I I suppose. I said, let's do it. So if you had a key to our old church, you also had a key to my house. So I I just want to like consolidate as few keys as possible. If I could have had him rekey my car so that my house key worked in my ignition, I would have done that, but I got it narrowed down to to two keys. So so it's one thing to have that attitude when it comes to your literal keys, but some people mistakenly have that same kind of attitude when it comes to spiritual disciplines. That I just want to, I just want one key. I'm just gonna be like a prayer person. Well, that's great that you are a prayer person, but you're, you're you're missing keys that open up other doors. And as long as you just want to maintain, I'm just I'm just a, a, a prayer. Then other other doors are gonna remain closed to you. Hey, I'm just a giver. I I, I give so because I I give. I don't really mess with prayer. That's ridiculous, right? Same thing with fasting. Because I pray, because I give, because I study God's word, that's wonderful. Don't miss out on the discipline of of fasting. Fasting opens up things that other things don't open up. Matthew chapter 17, we've looked at it before. You're familiar with it. You don't have to turn there. But it's the story of Jesus being up on on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And while he's up there, a man brings his son to the disciples to receive healing. The disciples pray for him. Nothing happens. Jesus comes back down and says, what in the world's going on? The man says, well, I brought my boy to your disciples, and they prayed for him. But, they, I mean, it was, there was not, nothing happened. It didn't, it didn't work. So Jesus ministers to the boy. Later on, when they're alone, the disciples wondered, What's going on? How come it didn't work? How come I'm not seeing results like I thought I would see? Something is, something is missing, and we don't know what it is. And you remember what Jesus said to them? Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. So fasting opens up something that otherwise it, re- it remains closed. In, in fact, if you read it, he says, because of your unbelief. 
That's what he says first. And then he says, this kind comes out only by, by prayer and fasting. So you can understand that one of the things that fasting does in our lives is it destroys unbelief. You can build your faith. They're two different things. You build your faith through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But from that passage, we understand not only do I need to build my faith, I also need to destroy unbelief. And one of the ways that I do that is by taking time to fast and to pray. Fasting is a unique spiritual discipline with unique spiritual results, with unique rewards. It can also act as an accelerant when we couple it with, with other disciplines. Fasting and giving, fasting and prayer. It's why we don't just fast, we fast and we pray. One of the most prominent miracles in the gospel accounts, it's repeated in, in each of the gospels, sometimes we'll be told similar stories multiple times in the same gospel, is when Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves. You're, you're familiar with these stories. There'd be thousands of people, 4,000 4, men in one account, 5,000 men in another account, not counting women and children, thousands and thousands of people. That they'll be, I have a shortage of food and this amazing miracle, one of the most prominent, focused on, celebrated miracles in Jesus' ministry is this multiplication of the fish and the loaves. All, all kinds of significance come from the, the loaves and the fish being, being multiplied, but the environment that allowed this amazing miracle to take place was a combination of all three of the disciplines that Jesus mentions in, Luke, or in, in Matthew chapter 6 that we just read. Let me read to you one of the accounts in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 2, in the King James Version, it says this, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from afar. So, so from that literal translation, uh, apparently they'd been together for three days and Jesus said, we've been together three days and we haven't eaten. And if I send them on a journey, some of them have come a, a long ways. And if I send them away while they're still fasting, it's going to be a difficult trip. It's hard to do physical labor when you, when you haven't eaten. So what happens next? He says, hey, let's give them something to eat. We don't have enough food. Well, what do we have? Someone, someone had to give, right? Someone had to give up. They, had, they were set. They had fish and loaves, but they had to give it and turn it over to Jesus. So the environment of fasting, now we have giving. After they fasted, after they gave, what happens next? Jesus takes the, the fish and the loaves. He holds it up. He blesses it. He gives thanks, he prays, and out of those three disciplines coming together, multiplicate this amazing miracle where people see the power of God. They go away praising God. There's an abundance, there's overflow, there's baskets left over. The environment included an atmosphere of, of fasting. And so fasting is, is too often an unused tool that God has given us to grow and to unlock things, and there are specific rewards. And so we make it a point every year to begin the year with 21 days of fasting and prayer. We'll begin January 1st this year. We'll, we'll fast for 21 days. For some of you, this I mean, you know the routine. You know what we do. Fasting is a regular discipline from you. There's probably people in this room that are, are fasting right now, but there's other people in our, our church that are maybe new to our church or new to serving Jesus at, at all. And so this is like uncharted territory for you. So we wanted to help kind of get you ready and gear you up so you can participate in this fast with us. If you know right, right now, this is something I do. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to participate in this 21 days. I would love for you to go ahead and sign up, and we'll give you opportunities in the next couple of weeks. But you can put that graphic up. If you want to text the word right now, 21 days, to the church phone number, for a couple of reasons. One, we, we want to know what kind of participation we have. I, I would love for you to participate. In fact, if you are a a part of our church family, and you're between the ages of 18 and 70, my expectation is that you will be participating in this time of fasting and, and prayer. So you can text that. We want to know who's participating. Secondly, if you sign up, then we'll, we'll text you prayer points every day. And so I don't know if you're a fan of prayer points. I love using prayer points because it helps me stay focused in praying. And as you go through fasting and prayer, you can pray about whatever you want but it also gives us a point every day that we'll be focused on as a church family and we can be praying about together. I don't know if you've ever had a time where you're really seeking the Lord. I mean, you're praying, 
then you have moments where you're like, I'm praying. I don't even know what I'm praying about. I'm just kind of like blabbering on to the Lord. For me, prayer points help bring focus and kind of kind of give me a lens that I know, I know right now, today, my focus in prayer is my marriage. I'm praying about my marriage. I'm praying about the church staff. I'm praying for our church family. I'm praying for our community. I'm praying for my finances. I'm praying for my health. That as, as I grow older, I continue to be healthy and strong. Disease and sickness stays far from my family. Whatever that prayer point is, it helps give us something to aim at, something to focus at. So we want to we wanna supply our church, whoever's participating, as we go through these 21 days with prayer points to give something to to focus on. And I would encourage you to make your own list of prayer points too. Over these next few weeks, what are some things you really want to bring into focus in prayer and make sure that they happen next year? Make it part of your prayer points as we go into a time of fasting and prayer. So if you're you're new to fasting, that's maybe kind of a churchy word. How do you fast? The, The way you fast, number one, is you don't eat. No eating, no food. But biblically, that's, that's literally what fasting means. So if you want, want to fast, your first step is stop, stop eating food. Literally, it means to cover your mouth or to not eat. So when people say, hey, I'm fasting, but I'm fasting television, I'm fasting movies, I'm fasting uh, social media, I'm fasting whatever it is, unless you are accustomed to eating those things, uh, then, then that's really not a Bible, a Bible fast. A fast means that you stop eating, that you, you don't eat. So in those times that you would be engaged in eating a meal, instead, you're going to devote that time to seeking the Lord. I'm going to be in fellowship with God. I'm going to be worshiping, studying his word, giving thanks, learning to hear his voice. I'm dedicating those meal times to times, to times of prayer. So there's, there's two ways that you could participate. The first way, and this is what I recommend you do, especially if you're new to fasting, is to do a, a partial fast to do uh, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So you're basically taking half the day. You're fasting breakfast and lunch. Then you're going to eat dinner. Then you'll get up and do it all again for 21 days. That's what I would recommend that you would participate at that level. So instead of breakfast, you're not just sleeping in later and you're not just working through lunch. You're going to get up in the morning. Instead of preparing a meal for your belly, you're going to take that time and you're going to seek the Lord. You're going to engage in prayer. You're going to press in. Lunchtime, you're not just working through lunch and getting more done. You're taking that time, carving out intentional time to lean in and to really, really engage in prayer. So that's the way we recommend. Or another option is to do a complete fast. And by that, we mean no eating at all through the 21 days. When we do that, we, we say limit yourself to water, drink lots of water, coffee, tea, fruit juice, vegetable juice, and that's, that's basically it for the 21 days. And again, leaning into that time and fellowship with, with the Lord. Devote that meal time to time seeking God. Now, if you've never fasted before, you can expect there's there going to be some discomfort. Your body's not going to like it. Don't let that discourage you. You're going to get hungry. Some people are surprised by the fact that they get hungry. I, I fasted, but you know what? About seven hours in, I got hungry. So I, I went ahead and ate something. Well, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Expect that when you're not eating, your body, you're going to get hungry. You're going to get uncomfortable sometimes. You might get headaches because your, your body's cleaning itself out. Your, your breath is probably going to reach a point where it's unpleasant. So uh, along with juice and coffee, like we... Mints are, are acceptable during this fast. That's not for your benefit. That's for everyone else's benefit. You can ha- have, have mints. But expect that your body is not going to want to participate in this fast. If you've ever been at a store and seen a kid throw a fit on the floor, you know, they, they don't get a toy or something, and they go berserk. Have you ever seen that? Or maybe you've personally, you've done that. You're just, I mean, kicking and screaming and hitting their mom or their dad, flailing around on the floor. That's the way your flesh responds when it doesn't get what it wants. So there will be a point in this fast where your body, where my body starts to throw a tantrum, and it wants what it wants, when it wants. It'll try to convince you, man, I can't make it another day. I can't take another step. If I don't get a slice of 
pizza, if I don't get a sandwich, if I don't get some kind of meal, man, I'm going to drop over dead. I can't take it anymore. It's throwing a fit. And you've got to have a determination already. I'm not going to cave in to the desires of the flesh because that's part of what you're doing is you're setting a tone. I don't walk according to what my, my belly wants and what my flesh wants. You're resetting the dynamics of your life to establish. I'm not a physical person that dabbles in spiritual things. I'm a spirit man. I'm a spirit woman. I'm a person of the spirit that dabbles in physical things, but I'm allowing my spirit man to control my life. And I'm setting that tone. We should reset it often in our lives, but we're starting the year set from the very beginning. I'm walking in the spirit and according to things, not what my flesh wants, but what my spirit wants and what the spirit of God wants. Amen. In fact, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, this, this is a powerful portion of scripture. So I would encourage you, write this down, make a note, highlight it, come back to it, study it, think of it, meditate on it. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 17, it says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Other translations translate their God is their belly. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. So, so the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, is writing, and he's writing to the church. This isn't written to, to heathens. This is written to, to the church. And in this, he says, as I've told you often before. You hear me say this all the time. Yeah, I know you guys say, I always say that. I know, but I'm going to tell you again. This is something repeated. So all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful instruction. We need to heed to it. But when you see something like this, say, I say this over and over and over. You heard me say it a hundred times, but you know what? You're going to hear it again. That's something we need to pay attention to, to lean in. He's emphasizing this is something that needs to be a repeated warning in our lives. He's talking to a group of people. In the church, there's something in the early church, it's something in the church today, that even though they say they follow Jesus, there hasn't really been any significant change in their life. They, they continue to live basically like they used to live. That there's, there's allowance made for sin in their lives because of the grace of God. And they, they think that God's grace, which thank, thank God for his grace, but they think because the grace of God is so wonderful, it, it becomes basically like a license for them to sin. Any kind of moral standard, holiness really isn't that big, big of a deal anymore because of what Jesus accomplished. The grace of God lets us just kind of do whatever, whatever we want. I, I, can, I can still sleep with whoever, even if I'm not married to them. I can get drunk. I can, you know, whatever it is, because of the grace of God, it's a license to sin. And he's giving us a strong warning. It is a mistake to think that way. And it's something that, that many of the churches dealt with. And again, the church today deals with in the book of Romans, as he's talking about how wonderful the grace of God is, he had to clarify because he knew the way that people were responding. Romans chapter six, starting in verse one, he says that should we continue to sin then that, that grace may abound because of the grace of God? Does that mean, hey, let's just do whatever? And he, he answers that question, certainly not. How can we who are, have died to sin continue any longer therein? And later on in that same chapter, he says that we should reckon or consider ourselves dead to sin, that sin is no longer our master. We've been set free, that we're able to walk in holiness and righteousness. And there is a tendency, just in human nature, a tendency to drift towards the thing of the flesh, the things of the flesh, and make allowance for sin in our lives. To let the standard for holiness slowly slip away and just kind of allow culture to influence us. And so he's given us a warning. Holiness matters. Amen. It is a mistake to think that the grace of God allows you just to do whatever you want, however you want, and just chalk it up to, hey, 
I'll just ask for forgiveness. That's just the, the, the grace of God. Let, let me read a few passages to back this up. You can stay right there. Let me jump over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. We read this as a staff earlier this week. Now, I'm, what I'm reading, this is, this is the New Testament. And he's given this warning. For God, starting in verse 4, for God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and he turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. He goes on from there, but he's giving example after example of God's standard. God does not put up with sin. The wages of sin is still death, even in the new covenant. Sin is not supposed to be tolerated. And again, this is a New Testament warning going back to examples. God didn't even spare angels when they sinned. You're out of here. God didn't spare the whole world other than seven people. When wickedness grew, he wiped them out. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah other than the people that were righteous. He's illustrating God, God does not have a, a, a tolerance for sin, and we should take it as a warning. He goes on to begin to apply it in verse 10. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and those who despise authority. And he continues from there. Again, th this is New Testament warning. He is, not he was. He is especially hard. God really doesn't like these kinds of sins, sexual sin, people, people who, who won't accept authority in their lives. This is a standard that we've got, we can't allow ourselves to slip away from. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Those who obey God's commands commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him if I obey God's commandments if I submit to him if I'm walking in line with his word what happens I remain in fellowship with him what what can I understand if I refuse to obey his commandments that my fellowship with him is broken. The sin breaks fellowship with God. Again, thank God for his grace. If you've sinned, you can go to God and he's faithful and just to forgive us. But if you make tolerance for sin in your life because of grace, you, you, are, you are in a dangerous, dangerous place. What does this have to do with, with fasting? Well, if we jump back to Philippians, Philippians chapter three, verse 19. So he's talking about these people. It says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now notice that it doesn't say that they're enemies of, the, of Christ. What does it say? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. So if you were to ask these people, hey, do you love Jesus? Oh yeah, we're big fans of Jesus. We think he, he's great. They were enemies of the cross of Christ. They were enemies of denial and sacrifice saying no to themselves. But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up the cross. So you, you can't follow Jesus genuinely, sincerely, without incorporating the cross, without denying yourself, without dying to, your, to yourself. And so these people, they weren't enemies of Christ. They were enemies of the cross of Christ. And look at the result here. Verse 19, they are headed for destruction. That should cause our ears to perk up a little bit and pay attention. People that live like this, they are on a pathway that leads to destruction. And then he begins to describe these kinds of people. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite or their belly. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. These kind of people, they, they think only about this life here on earth. They just think about temporary things. They think about the here and now. You know, life is very short. If you live 70, 80, 90, 100, 120 years, I mean, that's, that's a moment. 
That's nothing in light of eternity. You're going to be around for thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, gazillions of years, forever and ever and ever and ever. You will exist either in heaven or hell. This life, 70, 80, 100 years, I mean, that, that, is, that is nothing. So how foolish to only think about this life, temporary things, things that are just for a moment and not pay any attention to the life that's coming after this one is over. What, what a foolish condition to allow yourself to get in where you just think about this life. He's talking about these kind of characteristics. If you realize right now, man, I just think about, I just think about this life. I don't give a whole lot of thought to eternity. What, what's coming next? You need to make a change. You can make that change this morning. Before that, he says, they brag about shameful things. The new King James says they glory in their shame. They're proud of things that they should be embarrassed about. You might know people like that. Some of us have been people like that that we brag about stuff that, the stuff that we should be crying out to God to forgive us. God, I'm so, I should have never forgiven, I repent. People brag about that stuff. They're, they're drinking exploits and how drunk they got. Man, I couldn't even find my way out of the room. I, I barely made it home. There's sexual exploits and all these kinds of things. They, they brag about those things. Those are the things, that's their shame. They're so twisted around that they think it's something to boast about when they should be, it, ashamed of what they're doing. But notice where this, this description begins. The starting point is that their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. That, that's, that's the first indication that you're on this destructive path. That, that's why this is such a big deal, that they've allowed their appetite to control them. They've allowed physical appetites of which your desire for food is the strongest, and that's why fasting is so important. You're denying, you're crucifying physical desires by hitting it at the root, your desire for food. People have allowed their physical desires to control their life. Now, I like food. It's okay to like food. In fact, it's biblical to have times of feasting, so this doesn't mean no more enjoying food food at all. I'm, I'm a guy that likes I like to eat, which I, I don't need to tell you that, but my doughy midsection trying to cover it up with a, a, a sweater, it's not working. You, you, you know, just by looking at me, I enjoy, I enjoy eating, right? So there's some people when you talk about food, they think they've made a pig of themselves if they've eaten their entire salad. I'm not one of those guys. I, I eat an entire carton of ice cream, sometimes two. I, I, I know what it is to enjoy food. Right? So there's times of feasting and times of enjoyment. And it's true with any of our appetites. God, God wants you to be blessed. The problem is when you allow that blessing to control your life and move from a reward to a God in your life. We could talk about financial blessing. We could talk about a healthy sex life. We could talk about food. All those things, God wants to be a blessing. But when you allow that appetite to begin to control you and you're just interested in satisfying it, what, what does my belly want? What am I craving? What, what is my stomach growling for? Then you are, you are in a dangerous place. And so fasting helps cut off that tendency in our lives to not allow this pattern to develop that all of us have a tendency to allow holiness to slide, to allow our physical appetites to gain ascendancy. Fasting helps cut that off at the pass. Amen. Holiness is important. Not, not allow, guard, setting up guards in our lives to, don't allow us to go down that path. To prioritize the spiritual, to prioritize the eternal over the physical, over the temporary. Not just thinking about things on earth. Not just thinking about the next meal that I want to have or my physical craving. To allow, a time of fasting allows that, that physical hunger. It just reminds me that, I, God, I desire you more than I desire a, a, a meal. I desire you and what you have for me more than anything else. Some of you just said, I, I want all that God has for me. You've got to not just want it. You've got to want it more than anything else. And setting aside food, again, that, that's, sacrifice is a language. I'm communicating, God, I want you. I'm hungry for you. More than I'm hungry for lunch, more than I'm hungry for a snack, more than I'm hungry for something sweet sweet or something savory. God, I want you. I want your blessing. I want your voice. I want you to have your way in my life. You've got to have a hunger and a desire for those things. And fasting helps express to God and communicate to him, God, I desire you more than I desire anything else. One of the things that fasting does is it helps to crucify physical appetites that so often pull people off rails and send them to hell. You know, you allow your physical appetites to control your life. They'll take you to hell. That's what this passage is warning us about. That's why one of the reasons it's so important that we do it. 
You allow your belly to control, it becomes a God. God he's, God's not a f- fond of you having false gods in your life, whether it be a little golden statue or your physical appetite. People that, people that allow their appetite for sexual things to control them, it'll take them to hell. And so this cuts that off and prevents it from being able to gain control in our, in our lives. The benefits of fasting, there's so many of them, we couldn't talk about them in one service. But if you have, have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 58. So many benefits to being a person who fasts and prays. When you read through the Bible and notice people who, who fast in God's word, it's like a, a who's who in the Bible. Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Daniel fasted, Ezra fasted, Esther fasted, Nehemiah fasted, John the Baptist fasted. I want to read this from the New King James. Jesus fasted, the apostle Paul fasted, the early church fasted. So it's all through God's word, a discipline that too often, again, is a missing key in believers' lives. There's there's situations completely turned around through fasting and prayer. Read read the book of Esther, how the people of God were headed for a destruction and ended up destroying their enemies and reaping all the benefits, taking the spoil, uh, enjoying God's favor and blessing because of a time of fasting and prayer. Read, Read the book of Ezra, how God turned a situation around. Over and over and over again, incredible miracles that happened as a result of fasting and, and prayer. If you have your Bible in Isaiah chapter 58, we, we won't take time to highlight all of these benefits, but there's, there's 20 plus benefits just in this one passage of scripture related to fasting and prayer. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse six. It says, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free? and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. He starts to list, starts to list these benefits. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. We'll continue reading, but right off the bat, he says that your light will spring forth. Your light will break forth. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Complete healing for your body. Your righteousness shall go before you. God's righteousness will lead you. It'll guide you. It'll open up doors that otherwise wouldn't open up. Opportunities would come that you otherwise wouldn't have. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You know what that means? It Your rear guard means enemies that you don't even know about, things that you aren't even aware of, secret enemies that would love to destroy you, destroy your family. The enemy seeks seeks to destroy people's lives. That's what the Bible says. He's like a roaring lion seeking for whom he may devour. Sometimes you might be aware of it. Other times you might not be aware of it. But God says if you'll devote yourself to being a person who takes time to fast and pray, he'll be your rear guard. If you fast and pray, there's people in this room that fast and pray, and there's been enemies that try to take you out. You never even knew about it because God, God just handled it. He's your rear guard. He'll take care of secret enemies that you don't even know to defend yourself against. He's got it, he's got it handled. It's one of the benefits of fasting. He continues. Verse 9, then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. When you call to God, he says, I'm going to respond to you. He says, I'll, I'll say, here I am. Think about that revelation. God will reveal himself to you in such a, a powerful way in times of fasting and prayer. That God, God, it'll be like God saying, here I am. You'll become more aware of who he is, more aware of his presence. He promises deep revelation. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you, if you, take, away from the, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. He'll drive darkness out of your life. Confusion, heaviness in your family. Man, it just seems like things aren't going the right way. He'll turn darkness into like the noonday. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. 
and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose water does not fail. Is that not one of the most beautiful pictures of what life can be like? You will be like a well-watered garden. That's, that's one of the things I, I confess over my life and over my family. I'm like a well-watered garden. I've got a spring of water that never fails. That's what God desires for you, for your family, for your children, for your marriage, for your career, for your finances, that a good description of your life would be like, man, that family, they are like a well-watered garden. They've got a supply that just doesn't end. They stay fresh. They stay fruitful. That's what God desires for you. But the doorway, the way that you unlock that door is through being a person who fasts and prays. Verse 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. God will use you to raise up generations, to raise up more people that know the Lord. You'll be someone that raises up generations of people that serve the Lord. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. The New Living says the restorer of homes. And you shall be called the repairer of, of the breach. I wish somebody else would get excited about what God's word has to say about people that fast and pray, that you'll have a reputation, that you'll be known as a repairer of the breach, where things have fallen apart, they've caved in, now there's a gap, just a, a wall that's crumbled. You'll be known as a repairer. You know families that have fallen apart, marriages that have fallen apart, people that have drifted away from the Lord, they're not serving it anymore. God wants to use you in a way that what the enemy has tried to destroy, that there's now a breach. Man, things aren't together. It's falling apart. God wants to use you. He wants to use us that you'd have a reputation. Man, that person's like a repairer of the breach. What, what a reward of fasting that your life would matter. There'd be fruit from your life. You could look at a marriage that you know was in shambles, but God used you to help restore it, that you repaired the breach. You'd know people that serve the Lord. They knew his goodness, but they've fallen away and now they're on their way to hell. But God used you to repair that breach, whatever that offense was, whatever that sin was that got a hold on their life. God wants to use you to repair it. That, that, that people's lives aren't just in shambles, that the enemy doesn't have his way, but God needs people that will devote themselves to being serious and follow him, men and women of fasting and prayer, so he can give you a reputation. Repairs of the breach, restores of homes. Verse verse. 14, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You shall delight yourself in the Lord. Do you know it's one of the, the benefits, one of the rewards of fasting is that you'll delight yourself in the Lord? Have you ever seen someone that you can tell they love the Lord? And you want to love the Lord the way that they love the Lord, but you just know, I don't love the Lord the way that guy loves the Lord. Anyone see someone like that? Man, it seems like Pastor Jonathan, all he ever wants to do is worship God. I don't feel like that. You know, one of the ways you can move yourself in that direction is by, it's a reward. It's a reward to delight yourself in God. It's not, man, a drudgery to make myself read the Bible. No, I delight in it. I love it. There's things you can do to move yourself in that direction where it's not the most difficult thing you do all week is to get yourself to church. You can't wait. Glad to say, let us go into the house of the Lord. I delight in God's presence. It's one of the rewards of fasting. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's talking about rich blessing, the heritage of Jacob. I'll, I'll cause you that same blessing to rest on your life. Now we could take any of those blessings, any of those rewards and open them up and talk about them more. Let me just highlight one of them. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually. You know, if that was the only benefit for fasting, it would be well worth being a person who takes fasting seriously. That the Lord would guide you continually. Man, every step of your life being in sync with the Lord. He'll guide you continually. You know, when you fast, it sensitizes your spirit to the voice of God. That it invites direction, correction. Get me on the right course. Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul received the, the call to become the apostle Paul in a time of fasting and prayer. God was guiding him continually and fasting is what made him available to that leading. God will guide you continually. You know, there's a lot of people that have a sense 
that there's something God wants to do with their life. And I, I know God wants to use me in some way, some kind of, of, of greatness that he has for me. You ever feel that? And I just feel like God wants to use me. I feel like there's something significant. I feel like there's just something great God wants to do. I was meant for something. I was meant for something great. It's just never really seemed to manifest in my life. It's just never really seemed to materialize. I've always had a sense God wanted to do something significant in my life, through my life. But you know what? Up until this point, it's been pretty, it's been pretty mediocre. It's been pretty ordinary. But you still have that sense. But why not fast? Why not fast and pray and allow the Lord to guide you continually? Instead of it always seeming like a missing piece, I thought God wanted to do something special, but let him guide you continually. One of the benefits I read earlier, he'll cause your light to break forth. That means that you have light. It's just a matter of whether it's breaking forth or not. Like on a cloudy day, like yesterday at one point, at least where I was, kind of a dreary gray day. But then there was a point where the clouds opened up sun started. I mean, it changed the whole atmosphere of the day. It went from kind of yucky out to just beautiful. Things changed, changed color, just kind of that golden, that golden tone to it because light was breaking forth. It was there the whole time. There was just some things that needed to be moved out of the way to let that light break forth. One of the benefits of fasting is that God promises your light will break forth speedily. You have light. There's gifts on the inside of you. There is a call on your life. That sense you have, God wants to, I feel like I should have been doing something significant. I feel like I've got a greatness for my destiny. You've got light. The problem is it hasn't broken forth. Fasting is one of the ways that God will use to clear things out, to move those clouds aside and allow that gift, allow that call, allow that purpose, allow that fruitfulness to break forth in your life. It's, it's one of the rewards for fasting and prayer. Let, let me read one more passage of scripture and then we'll pray. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter two. If you don't read from Luke chapter two in the month of December, people question whether you're really a Christian. This is something one of my daughters pointed out as we're doing family devotions last week. You know, family devotions don't have to be complicated. Read a passage of scripture, then ask everybody what the Lord spoke to them from it. You'd be surprised what your kids see that you don't see. I'm surprised anyway. I use it for sermon prep. Stole this from her. Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight, it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that there will be great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. How many think that'd be a pretty incredible experience? You've ever seen an angel before? I, I haven't. It says that an angel showed up and... God's glory surrounded him, the, ra the radiance of God's glory. These shepherds are just out there in the middle of the night. One angel shows up, and the radiance of God's glory changes. I mean, just the glory, it's radiating. They're, they're terrified, it says. So don't be afraid. He gives them this announcement. And then, not just one, one angel, they were terrified, and God's radiance is shining all over. But then a whole host of angels show up. So, I mean, what, what, that, that is an amazing experience. And then they begin to sing. They begin to, I guess they sing. That's why we sing it anyway. They said, I guess, technically, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God, God is pleased. This is an incredible experience. And they didn't command the shepherds to do anything. They gave them information. They gave them revelation. They had an amazing experience. And a lot of people would settle right there. That, that was amazing. I had the craziest experience. God's glory was shining. 
I saw angels. I got this word from the Lord. I got revelation. That's wonderful. But these shepherds had a hunger to go beyond just an experience. There was more. There was more available. They just, they could have just said, hey, we know that the Messiah came. We know where he was. He was in a manger. We even know what he was wearing. He was wearing something snugly. That's what the angels told us. They could have settled for that. But listen to what happens. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about, about the child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were, were astonished that they didn't just settle for an experience. They didn't just have a really cool encounter, learn something neat. There was something more, and they kept on pressing. Let, let's go. Let's see. I want something more. I'm not satisfied. And in our walk with the Lord, there's always something more. There's always something higher. There's always something deeper. There's always something sweeter. No one in this room has maxed out. Our relationship with God is not intended to reach a certain point and plateau. But what keeps people from moving higher, deeper, further is is a lack of hunger and desire. And that was the emphasis I felt to bring this morning, all the things we could talk about fasting and prayer. The main point is God has something for you. More more than what you've experienced, more than what you know, fruit that you have yet to bear. The only thing that keeps you is a lack of hunger to do what's necessary to open up those doors. Hung, fasting and prayer is an expression in the spirit. God, I desire everything that you have for me. Thank you for what you've done up until this point, but as long as I know there's more, God, I'm leaning in. I want to know you more. I want to experience you more, that we wouldn't be people that just settle for, for knowing a few things, having a few experiences, but we'd be like these shepherds and say, let's, let's go. Let's continue going. I want to go. I want to see. I want more of the things that God has for me. The Bible says that the call of God on our lives is an upward call. Ephesians chapter four, verse one says to live your life, to lead your life worthy of the calling for you have been called by God. That call is an upward call and you're supposed to lead a life worthy, consistent with the call to do what's necessary to continue to move upward. There's more, there's higher, there's further. God wants to stir up a desire in us as individuals, stir up an intensified hunger and thirst for the things of God. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.